0: If you want to check it out, which I highly recommend you do, check out the Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com forward slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door.
1: New customer offer, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
0: This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Arrowhead Addict Podcast. Please welcome your hosts, Matt Connor and Sterling Holmes. Welcome to the Arrowhead Addict Podcast with Matt Connor and Sterling Holmes. I am Sterling Holmes. No, Matt Connor. Matt Connor getting peed on in the City Museum in St. Louis. That's probably what he deserves for being in St. Louis. I'm sorry if you're a Chiefs fan from St. Louis. We love you. You used to have bad Starbucks and City Museum is actually pretty freaking sweet. So instead of Matt Connor, I'll be joined by Jake. You're going to say your last name for us. I got a, a nice lesson from him right before the show
2: started. So I'm really excited to see how he pronounces his last name. Yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll pronounce it the same way I did before. Uh, the, the spelling is K-O-K-O-R-I-S. Pronunciation is Kokoris. Bullshit. You pronounced
0: it different the first time. I'm calling it. You got me. He's Greece, and I found out he eats a ton of euros because that's how you pronounce it. Us Americans have been pronouncing it wrong this entire time.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's like a healthy amount. I, it's a healthy amount of euros. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we both right. ate chicken shawarma, but we did. we did enough about uh, enough about Greece because right here in Kansas City, the Chiefs, AFC West champions, the Chiefs. The number one seed in the AFC, if it were to end right now, they control their destiny. The Chiefs have a big game against the Cincinnati Bengals coming up after they just demolished, beat the brakes off of a corpse of Big Ben Roethlisberger. Jake, first off, what was your takeaway from the Chiefs dominating win over the Steelers?
2: Man, about 20 seconds into the Steelers' first offensive possession, Big Ben hits Najee Harris in the flat, and just like eight Chiefs are there for a loss of two or three. And at that point, I was like, I know exactly how this game is going to go. The Chiefs played on defense with this unbelievable aggression and discipline and just all-around teamwork. They were swarming to every single ball. And on offense, the Chiefs look like the Chiefs. Um, Mahomes making a few big time throws, doing his little his sidearm action. Um, had a beautiful throw to Derek Gore late in the game, um, and I thought that it was a uh, as complete a team win as you could ask for, especially after kind of a you know a difficult start to the season, kind of a uneven middle. I feel good about where we are, peaking at the right
0: time. It doesn't matter how you finish seven games into the season. All the people are saying, well, if the season ended now, well, yeah, newsflash, good thing the NFL season doesn't end week seven. All those Chargers, Raiders, Broncos fans that were had that little meme going around pointing that said, who's last in the AFC West? And now it's the same thing. They're all pointing up, but now who's first? That's right. why this is why you don't hand out week seven trophies. It doesn't matter. This is what you play for right here, right now. Come playoff time. You got to get in. Uh, sorry, Broncos, sorry, Raiders and Chargers not looking good for you either at this exact moment.
2: How yeah, was it Kansas... also just oh,
0: go ahead. No, go ahead. how is Kansas City able to turn it around from what was such a weird, frustrating start to what they look like now, which is the clear cut best team in the NFL?
2: If I had to say one thing, I'd say chemistry. Um, the piece, the same pieces that are on the Chiefs right now, besides Melvin Melvin Ingram, were all there at the start of the season. But the team that we saw on Sunday looks very different from the team that we saw get walloped by Tennessee earlier in the year. Um, I don't know what went into the, the shift. But there's a definite and obvious shift in how the Chiefs are playing both on offense and defense, especially on defense. And it starts with a sense of communication. Sort of everyone seems to have a, a good sense of what is supposed to happen on the play. Um, I harken back to that, that Big Ben pass to Najee Harris. Every you know, four or five Chiefs players knew exactly where that ball was going, there was no chance of it advancing. We're seeing a sense of cohesion and just kind of juice overall that we did not see at the start of the year. And I don't know exactly what the answer is as to what, what caused that change. It might just be good coaching. It might just be having great players at important positions. And in the long term, that stuff will correct itself. But that's what we're seeing, I think.
0: So my big takeaway – is that they move Chris Jones back inside. It's not rocket science, but again, it starts, like you said, kind of the addition of Melvin Ingram. That was the scapegoat. That was how you move Chris Jones back inside without anyone saying this was a failure. Because it wasn't working out, but you're not going to take one of the best defensive players in the NFL, one of the best front offices, and, and just say, this didn't work. We failed. You're not going to do this. Too much pride, right? So Melvin right. Ingram bringing in a former pro bowler, that helps. That softens the blow. That allows Chris Jones to move back inside and say, well, we need to get Melvin Ingram reps. It allows Kansas City, the front office, to say, hey, we need to get Melvin Ingram reps. And the way to do that is to move Chris back inside. That, to me, was huge. But not just those guys stepping up, not only Frank Clark starting to play like the $20 million man that he was paid to right. be. Turk Wharton, against the Steelers, seven pressures. Seven. Yeah. He had a 91.9 pass rush grade according to PFF, and take PFF what you will. I know they're getting blasted after the first right. initial Mahomes-Roethlisberger rating. They revised it. I, the PFF is not a end-all, be-all, but I do think there's a lot of good baseline metrics you can use or look at to try and make a case. Turk Wharton right. one right there, the 91.9 makes sense. Uh, another stat that I wanted to bring up, over the last three weeks, the Chiefs passing offense gained a first down on 46% of their plays against two high coverages, the highest number in the league. That's from PFF underscore Moo. You know how everyone kept saying they can't beat too high. They can't do it. Right. This is their kryptonite. Well, last three weeks, they figured it out. It's almost like in Happy Gilmore, when Happy Gilmore learns how to putt. It's like Patrick Mahomes against two high right. safety, because this has been
2: just an incredible turnaround. Right. It's like once once Mahomes shows that He's content taking those 10-yard completions over and over again. I mean, I'm not a mathematician, but you get 10 10 10-yard completions as a touchdown. So defenses are going to have to adjust from playing so far back once Mahomes is showing that, hey, you know, I know I said that I was bored, you know, playing the short game stuff. But showing that he's content with doing it when needed has, you know, warranted a a change on defense or shift from uh, from defenses.
0: So looking at the biggest injury from that game against the Steelers, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, good news. It wasn't a fractured collarbone because when it first happened, I go, my goodness, that's a broken clavicle. He's going to be out for this season. It's done. But they said, I think think they listed it as a bruised shoulder. So bruised clavicle, bruised collarbone, bruised shoulder, whatever you want to call it, it's not as serious as once thought. He might not make it against the Bengals. That seems like a pretty quick turnaround, but it sounds like he'll be back at some point in his absence though. Are you comfortable with Daryl Williams, with Derek Gore, with whoever they bring in as that third back to, to fill that void by Clyde Edwards Hilaire?
2: I am comfortable with, with Daryl Williams and Derek Gore because we've seen them perform in the absence of Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Um, I think Daryl Williams his his yards per carry is a little bit lower than than Clyde edwards alaire but there's something to be said about just the way he kind of pops off the screen. He has more of a physical running style. He's a little bit more decisive, I think, and he's emerged as a really viable pass catcher. And then Derek Gore too, seemingly out of nowhere, has become a nice little spark plug. Who's not only not only a spark plug, but he's he's able to carry the ball, you know, 10 plus times a game. I think that the chiefs are going to navigate, um, this, the, uh, Clyde Edwards injury just fine. Um, I'd, I'd love for a, a fully healthy Clyde ready to go for the playoffs. And I think that we're, we're pretty good at running back for right now with those two guys.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of depth, and that's what stands out for me is Kansas City all around the field, offense, defense. They have, what, four cornerbacks they can go deep. They have about seven guys on the defensive line you're comfortable with. Hell, they have a third-string right tackle in Andrew Wiley, and he's stonewalling TJ Watt I mean they are a deep deep team but they do have a lot of depth at running back I'm not worried Daryl the barrel he has a different running style like you mentioned but the emergence of him as a pass catcher has been crucial when a lot of the wide receivers weren't stepping up he was the dude who was stepping up and making plays happen Derek Gore in limited opportunities looks like he's just this incredible player and I get it small sample size but he looks like he's been making a ton of plays when given that chance. As much as it sucks that Clyde is out, I don't think the Chiefs will have a major issue. The main reason why I am sad is for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire himself. Two out of the past three weeks, I thought he's had his two best touchdown runs. The one when he bounced off, showed the vision, bounced back outside and scored. That was huge. And then this past week against the Steelers, gets stuffed by like three dudes, stays on his feet, and is still able to, to get into the end zone. And you could just see how stoked he was. I mean, the muscle hamster himself. It, it was incredible to watch how happy Clyde was. Because as he knows, he, the biggest knock against him was poor vision. And right. the balance is fine. But he's not. If he gets hit, he's going down. Those two plays right there show great vision and great balance. The ability to not go down at first contact. Just to me, I, I feel bad for Clyde. He's Kind of putting the haters to rest, and then this happens. Right.
2: Yeah, you know it's kind of the the curse of being a, an early early drafted first round running back is you know first of all, there's questions as to any as to whether any team should draft a, a running back in the first round. so you're they already shouldn't. facing this barrier where <laughs> it's like you have to be Jamal Charles to even be considered an acceptable draft pick. So there's all this just unbelievable pressure on Clyde and I think that you you mentioned that the touchdown celebration in the Steelers game I think that's exactly kind of like the microcosm of all of this all this pressure and all of the all the narratives kind of building up because you you saw him he ran into a you know four Pittsburgh defensive lineman and bounced out which was the exact thing that people thought he couldn't do and you saw Mahomes and the other Chiefs offensive players celebrating with him as if to say, like, see, I can. Um, so, of course, there's that there's that personal element where it's like we, we would love for Clyde to just silence the doubters and go on an extended run. Um, so it, it does stink in that regard that he's sidelined again.
0: Really quickly, before we go further, before we switch gears and talk about Patrick Mahomes and the Cincinnati Bengals, got to give a shout out knuckleheads. Check it out. The knuckleheads podcast brings on some of the best NBA players past and present that have totally unguarded conversations about sports culture and basketball nostalgia. Uh, the hosts former NBA players, Quentin Richardson, one of the best three point celebrations by the way, in the NBA and Darius miles. They're in their seventh season of doing the podcast. Some of the guests they've had this season include Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Sue bird and DeMar DeRozan. So, Check it out. Go wherever you guys get your podcast. Check it out. It's fantastic. If you like NBA, this is one of the best NBA podcasts there is. Knuckleheads, check it out. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. A lot more Chiefs talk after this. Welcome back to the Arrowhead Addict Podcast with Matt Connor and Sterling Holmes. Again, Matt Connor still not here. Probably eating some really bad barbecue in St. Louis. (laughs) Only thing they got really going is what? The Toasted Ravs, because outside of that, their Italian pizza is just ketchup on a cracker with some fake cheese. And like, hey, we'll call this good. Like, come on, St. Louis. How lazy is that? So instead, we're joined by Jake Kakaris.
2: Say it again. Come on, man. You got to give the, the chorus. People but I like the way that you said it. I also I- like the St. Louis riffing. I think we could just do an hour on that. I mean, come You've on! Got a lot of content there. I like. I mean,
0: it. it's it's just an <laughs> insane amount of content. Kansas City is yeah. w- top tier. St. Louis, sorry pal, you're just not there. You'll eventually get there someday. It's just not going to happen today. Uh, yeah. I do hundred years. <laughs> yeah, give another hundred years. Come on, uh, I do want to give uh, uh, switch some gears here and talk about the Chiefs as they face the Cincinnati Bengals. One thing I really want to hit on is. Everyone kept saying Patrick Mahomes, down year. Patrick Mahomes, he's broken. Patrick Mahomes, oh, he's horrible now. He can't make a throw. But Joe Burrow, fantastic. Joe Burrow is having this incredible season. Uh, you know, PFF has them as their number one rated quarterback. And I get it. I'm not using a lot of these advanced numbers. I'm using some pretty baseline numbers here. But let me just throw something at you. Guess one has more yards. Guess of the two that has more yards. Which one is it? Mahomes. Yeah, he does. Uh, guess who has more touchdowns? Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Guess who has fewer interceptions? Mahomes. But somehow he's broken, and somehow Joe Burrow is the uh, this, this wizard. And I get it. Joe Burrow's young. He's up and coming. He's had a very good season. But Mahomes has, has such a high standard – and rightfully so because of what he's done, but he's held to such a high standard, it's almost obscene. I know in Mahomes' terms, this has been a down year for him, but a down year for Mahomes is still one of the best, if not the best quarterbacks in the NFL.
2: Yeah, and it seems like, I think it happened this year, there is some sort of shift with regards to how the the national media approached Mahomes. I think this first two years that he was playing, he was this like gunslinging wonderkin that everyone loved, and when he when he reached these unbelievable levels of success, I think people decided that uh, we're bored, and he's going to be the, uh, the the person that we try to usurp from now on. He's going to be the one that we try to say is broken. We're just we're just picking him for that role. So I think yeah, Joe Burrow is having uh, an excellent second year. Um, I I I I do think that throwing the throwing 525 yards is, is, is extremely impressive. You know, it, it was against people against defenders who you know were in you know working in a warehouse the week before. So there has to be a little bit of uh, a qualifier there when we talk about this stuff. But yeah, it's like Mahomes has gotten to the point where anything less than perfect is broken.
0: It, it just to me it. Shows the excellence, the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. Again, taking nothing away from Joe Burrow. I don't care who you do it against, warehouse workers or not. Houston Texans, Baltimore Ravens, LA Rams, 525 is still 525. You got to go out there and put those numbers up. This is going to be a good game. And I'm in the the stance of I'm not scared. I'm not worried. The Chiefs, to me, are the best team in the NFL. They're the clear-cut favorites at this point. Uh, They've won, what's this now, eight straight games. They're on a roll, and they're playing the best football on all sides of uh, both sides of the the ball. just It's been incredible. But the Cincinnati Bengals are a team to watch out for because they're so streaky. They just put up 41. But are they going to put up 15 like they did against the, the Broncos? Are they going to get blown out like they have multiple times this year? Or are they going to be this team that seems to be unstoppable? You don't know. To me, they're exactly like the Chargers. Those are the exact two same teams. Get the Spider-Man meme, uh, Spider-Man meme out where there's two Spider-Mans pointing at each other. Because that's what the Chargers and Bengals are. And what would you know? The Chiefs have lost one time to the Chargers. Right.
2: And – What's interesting is if the, if the Bengals beat the Chiefs and they're in the playoffs and this is a home game for the Bengals, this is a level of pressure that the Cincinnati Bengals franchise hasn't faced since Carson Palmer was the quarterback. I mean, this is this is uncharted territory for this team. And while on paper, uh, the prospect of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd and Burrow is daunting you have to factor in that there is pressure is real and there, there's just going to be a lot of weight on these guys' shoulders. Um, There's, there's pressure on the chiefs too, you know, maintaining the number one seed uh, beating a, a, you know, viable playoff level team, but the chiefs are going to be the ones that are, that are sort of going in hungry. The, The Bengals are the ones that sort of have to stave the chiefs off. The Bengals are the ones that, the Bengals aren't going to be the Bengals that we we saw last week, where they were just lighting up the Ravens, just kind of blowing them out. This is a game where the expectations are on them to perform. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond. So I
0: know they're no longer no longer the Bungles, but to me, the Chiefs have the advantage in the facets that really matter. While Cincinnati's weapons are incredible, nothing to take away from Tyler Boyd, uh, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, um, we obviously talked about Joe Burrow. The Chiefs have been so good in the secondary, but that to me starts with the guys up front. Chris Jones is a wrecking machine, and he's going up against a frankly not great offensive line. Chris Jones in this defensive line should have an absolute field day. If Turk Wharton's getting seven pressures against the Steelers, I don't think there's any reason why he can't get seven pressures against a poor offensive line like the Bengals.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, especially we get a, a vintage Frank Clark performance. Um, one thing about the the corners in the secondary that I've been so impressed with is just if if you if you list the names of the starting corners for the Kansas City Chiefs, you got Charverius Ward, Rashad Fenton, Lajarius Sneed. Uh, you got DeAndre Baker. You got some other guy, um, other guys. Those Mike aren't Hughes. Named Mike Hughes. Like <laughs> they're not name brand um, cornerbacks, and yet we've seen over the course of this eight game winning streak, they've just been fortifying the defense. It's it's pretty remarkable. I think, I think part of it is Spagnolo and Veach have made a concerted effort to get, to acquire cornerbacks who are physical. And when you have a physical cornerback, you can make contact at the line of scrimmage, short off the line of scrimmage, try to slow down the receiver's burst. And to your point, if you have a dominant defensive line, dominant defensive ends, those guys are getting home in the, in the amount of time that it takes for that receiver, Jamar Chase, to Get open or, or or start accelerating. So I think it's sort of like it's sort of a, a really brilliant just scheme in general that that kind of holds up um, even against these more dangerous teams.
0: Yeah, and I know I talk about Chivers Ward a whole bunch on this podcast, but it's because I still think he does not get the recognition that he deserves. I'm with you. Yeah, for for, for a long time, his biggest knock was his hands, right? First, he he couldn't turn around, and then he eventually learned to turn around. And then it was, well, his hands are bad, though. And, again, I always like to say this is why he plays defense and he's not a wide receiver. But you saw that play against the Steelers. He went up and got that ball, high-pointed it. That was just incredible. But Chevarius Ward, like you mentioned, is so physical. He's not afraid to tackle. He's always in the defender's hip pockets. And how often do you see penalties against Chevarius Ward for a how physical he is right. it's almost incredible the lack of
2: flags against him exactly and that's that's the fascinating thing because it's it's almost it's this trait that you don't really he- ever hear about when it comes to corners like how physical can you be without getting flags like like towing that line and ward and fenton and sneed are, are really good at it and it's it's just it's almost like this new this new trait that that we haven't really even considered being an important part of being a cornerback, but yeah, that's a huge Trevorius Ward. That's a huge reason why he's able to, you know, stay steady with these with these number one wide receivers. Yeah, it, it's almost funny. It's almost like an offense alignment that
0: when when they're not getting their name called, you're like, that's a good offense alignment. It's mm-hmm. almost like Chevarius Ward. He's he's almost boring, right? He he just does what he has to do and he gets his job done. He's not Marcus Peters. He's not out there getting eight interceptions a year. He's not out there also throwing flags and throwing socks and, you know, wherever was way <laughs> he wants. So I get it. T'Rex Ward's not this super flashy. He's not Deion Sanders, but boring can be good at cornerback. At that position, that is almost what you want. Speaking of the offensive line, They've been just absolutely incredible. They're starting to gel. Andrew Wiley, I think, is not getting enough recognition. I know people are like, are saying, "Oh, we can't wait until this, that, and the other until Rimmers gets back, until Niang gets back, and Niang's supposed to get back this week." Hmm. But Wiley's been very serviceable. This is how you build, in my opinion, a championship contending team. You go from him who was starting at left tackle in a Super Bowl, and sure, he got beat or right tackle in the Super Bowl because you obviously had Rimmers there, but. I'm, Starting the Super Bowl and getting beat, but when he's your third string tackle, that's incredible depth. So talk a little bit about what this offensive line has been able to do and how they've been able to turn around from the Super Bowl until now and become one of the best units in the NFL.
2: I think that the the general the general reason for improvement is that they've minimized the number of weak links on the offensive line so the Chiefs were getting criticized by, you know, a lot of sort of the analytics sites for, a paying Joe Tooney a lot of money, um, uh, drafting drafting Creed Humphrey a center and then, right guard Trey Smith. Um, obviously, they traded that first round pick for Orlando Brown and didn't really address right tackle aside from keeping Wiley and then you had you had Yang return from that from the COVID. Um, opt out last year, and so they they were, they were getting criticized because it was like the Chiefs aren't investing in the the offensive line positions that matter. They're not really they they didn't spend money on a right tackle. They spent money on a left guard. They spent a lot of money on a left guard. But the flip side is, if you have a Pro Bowl level left guard in Tooney, an All Pro in in Creed Humphrey, and a Pro Bowl level right guard, and then you could say Orlando Brown's a pro level too. I think he's flirted with that. Um, What you have is you have, you have three offensive linemen that you don't have to worry about. And that takes a ton of pressure off the tackle. So they've been able to optimize their strengths, which is the interior offensive line, which has lowered the pressure on someone like Andrew Wiley, who can step in, play a serviceable game against TJ Watt. Um, So it's an interesting counterpoint to the narrative or the criticism the Chiefs were facing as to why they were investing in those "quote unquote" offensive line positions that didn't matter as much.
0: Uh, I've also noticed Mahomes has been drifting back. You know, he was taking those massive drops a little bit less in recent weeks. That's something I've I've noticed, and I hope that trend continues. But you're right, and I love analytics. I love the numbers and, and if you find me especially when it comes to baseball, you'll find me pounding, pounding to take about come on, start, start diving more into the numbers, this, that, and the other. But I also think it comes to the caveat. You don't play for hypothetical wins. Just how, for example, with Salvador Perez, the biggest knock against him was, well, he didn't walk, or hypothetically, Grandal was better. But guess what? You don't play hypotheticals. How many home runs did he hit? How many RBIs did he have? How many times did he actually score or drive someone in? Not hypothetically did he do it. What did he do? Same thing that Kansas City did is, sure, maybe instead of spending that first round basically tender on Orlando Brown Jr., what could you get this, that, and the other? I understand it. But you're playing for a Super Bowl. We're not playing right. for hypothetically winning one in four years. You know what you have now. And, and that to me was what was right. so impactful was, was saying, cause I think, I think time at times you always have to be building for the future. I hate when Brett Veach said uh, the first round draft pick on Clyde was a luxury draft pick. There's no such thing as a luxury mm, draft pick. Yeah. But, but, but what was so impactful for me was they spit in that draft pick on Orlando Brown jr. And what first round tackle were you going to get? That's going to be as solid as him. I always say, worry about that later. Take care of what you can do now. If you think you have a championship contending team right now, put it together,
2: do it, don't wait. That,
0: to me, I loved.
2: Right. You want to you balance the team goals, which is when, when you have Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey on a team, your goal should be to win the Super Bowl. So you want to be a little bit more aggressive, like flipping that first for Orlando Brown, which – is a sure thing in a sense that you know that you're getting a starting left tackle. He may not be an all pro, but you know, you're getting a starting left tackle. Um, if you, you flip to some other team like the lions, the, 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 team goal isn't to win a super bowl. It's, it's just to accrue, you know, assets. So I, I do, I do think that it was impressive how Brett Veach kind of towed that line between maybe being reckless or being overly aggressive Um, with being mindful for the future while still understanding that the goal is to win a Lombardi this year. Yeah.
0: Just to me, it also helps when you're Brett Veach and you hit on six rounders like (laughs) Fenton, uh, Trey Smith, uh, Creed Humphrey. When you hit on guys like that, that makes your job so much easier and you can afford to overpay or spend draft capital on the first round because you have such an eye for talent later on in the draft with Jarius Sneed fourth round. I mean, how often are teams hitting on those draft picks? I get it. You don't want to necessarily count on every single year you hitting on a sixth rounder. But when you can do that time and time again, to me, it's really impactful. Also, the ability to retool the linebacking core with Willie Gay Jr. and Nick Bolton has been transformational. Uh, Anthony Hitchens and Ben Neiman, by the way, give a shout out. They've stepped up their game as well. Even Dorian O'Daniel laid the wood. When he's laying the wood against your team, uh, watch out. But that to me is also one of the biggest storylines is the weakest attribute of this team was stopping the run and their linebackers last year all of a sudden it's looking like a strength and a strength that's going to be around for a long time.
2: That's right. And, and another one of those, one of the kind of knocks from, I mean, not to, not to bang on the analytics, just, uh, just analytics in general, because I, I also value them greatly, but there were, there was criticism about taking a, a run stopping linebacker Nick Bolton. And what we have, what we really have now on the Chiefs is, is we have Nick Bolton, who's exceptional at stopping the run, but that drop-off and pass coverage ability, Bolton's not the best in coverage. You can kind of pick up with a roaming luxurious Sneed, who's sort of like a, just kind of a, a Swiss Army knife, or Willie Gay, who is exceptional in coverage. There's, there's little ways to make up for those ty- types of deficiencies players may have. So I think, again, it's, it's, it's interesting how, you know, you draft Nick Bolton to stop the run and there are other parts of your team that can ameliorate the parts of Nick Bolton's game that aren't ideal. So it's, 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 it's just an interesting way to approach team building. And it's, it's, I mean, the proof is in the receipts it's worked so far.
0: So chiefs bingles, how does this game play out? What is your final score?
2: So normally I would I would I would I would guess that this is sort of um uh, Andy Reed doesn't play the full deck they kind of uh they try to stay in the game they try to win it but they're not they're not really in in full playoff mode but two, but a few things um counter that uh Andy Reed in that in that the Chiefs always do those post-victory locker room videos and typically when they win the division which they do a lot Andy Reid's you know doing his dab or he's 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 talking about steak or whatever but he was pretty professional and like kind of subdued um and there was another I mean he he pulled Mahomes with 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter but left a lot of the other guys out and he was asked about it and he said we're just not there yet like we're not we're not ready to rest um so though those two kind of Clues um, make me think that this is a big game for, from Andy Reid's perspective, in the sense that I think Andy wants to see what Hardman, Pringle, and Gordon have in a big game. Um, I think that Hardman was just—I think Hardman ran a couple sloppy routes. I know he had the touchdown. Gordon had a very disappointing game. Obviously, Pringle was quite good. I think that the chiefs are going to basically throw the kitchen sink at the Bengals. I think that they're going to try to just see what their offense has and, and their offense beyond Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey. And they're going to see how far that can get them. And I think that that can get them far. I don't know. I don't know exactly what the, uh, what it'll look like, but, my, my guess would be that this is a high-scoring game. Give me, uh, give me 31-27, KC. Mm, close to what I have. 31-21,
0: KC. Okay. Uh, Closes, and they both score 31 points for, for the Chiefs. I, I think their defense has been so good, and I even felt awkward given the Bengals 21. I, I truly do, because – the Chiefs' defense has given me no reason to believe that the Bengals, that anyone is going to score more than, what, 15 points, 14 points against them, 10 points That's against them? Their defense has just been just been nails. And while, yeah, the 525 for Joe Burrow and all the weapons the Bengals have, I get it. But until I get proven wrong, I, I, I know I'm giving them 21, but even when I say 21, it's like, how are they going to do it? How are they going to score against this Kansas City Chiefs defense? That to me is just, that's where I'm at. 31 21
2: Chiefs. See, now I have doubt because the Bengal again, the Bengals just haven't played a game like this. So I, maybe, maybe, maybe they don't, maybe the Bengals don't score 27. I, I think it all depends on how, how the Bengals respond to the moment. But like you said, if we're just being good, good football empiricists, like the, the, Chiefs defense has shown us no reason to doubt them. I I mean, I know, like we said, when you have a bunch of cornerbacks who maybe aren't Marcus Peters or, or, or name brand, quote unquote corners, it's easy to doubt them, but it's like their production has, has shown us that they can hold up against almost anybody. So why would, why would we stop? And I think I think I'm just a little uh I was a little swayed by that T Higgins explosion and the Burrow explosion but we'll see I mean I I don't it would be it would be mightily impressive if the Bengals could could come out sharp right away uh in this game end of the day I mean, it'll be fascinating
0: end of the day I don't care if you pull a New England Patriots and throw the ball three times and get the dub that's still a win in cool. the books I don't care how you do it Get, get the victory, and I think they do. I think the Chiefs find a way to win. Whether they win by one, whether they win by thirty-three, doesn't matter. Come away with the victory. That's what matters at the end of the day. Jake, a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can folks find you at?
2: Uh, I write for Arrowhead Addict. Um, I do a lot of stuff. I do opinion pieces. I'll do. I did lessons. Lessons learned last year. I'm doing uh, the uh, the betting preview for Cincy kc this week so look out for that um and i'm on twitter uh at coco coco gadget one
0: i know you betting degenerates follow him already so make sure you check that out make sure you hit if you if you guys hit send me and him 10 percent of your winnings if you don't hit um i apologize you probably shouldn't listen to us we're idiots. What, what do you expect? Uh, this was the Arrowhead Addict Podcast with Matt Connor and Sterling Holmes. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to drop a review, feel free to do it anywhere you guys listen to your podcast. We always appreciate it. Patrick Allen, Matt Verderam, they'll be back at, uh, coming to you guys later this week. Until then, stay safe. Have fun. We're out.